Chapter 3, Neuroanatomy, Nerve Injury, and Sensory Reeducation. This chapter is going to be on the Purple Book, otherwise known as the Hand and Upper Extremity Rehabilitation Quick Reference Guide and Review. I will not be going over the specific questions. I will just be going over the concepts that are in the book. So, first concept is nerve stretch injuries are associated with fractures, dislocations, and occasionally retraction during surgery. If there's injuries to the proximal nerve, it has a worse prognosis for regeneration because if you think about it, if your injury is just to the finger, that's gonna heal fairly quickly. With a one inch um, recovery for the nerve every month, that'll heal really quickly. But if you've got an injury up on the proximal shoulder, that's gonna take quite a while. So the And those nerves can get kind of lost in the way. So that is going to result in a worse prognosis for regeneration. The DS, DRSN, the dorsal sensory radial nerve, can cause numbness on the dorsal side of the thumb and index finger. What's noteworthy is the median nerve also contributes to sensation of the index and thumb, but on the volar side. So if you have any questions on the exam, make sure that you have the right side. If it's volar, it's median nerve. If it's dorsal, it's gonna be the dorsal sensory radial nerve, otherwise known as the DRSN. It can also be compressed um, in the subcutaneous tissue of the distal forearm, and it's worsened by repetitive wrist flexion and ulnar deviation. And this is where you may find more pain for patients with decor veins, CMC arthritis, and patients who had a arthroplasty of the thumb. The DRSN also emerges between the tendons of the brachioradialis and ECRL, and pronation can cause these tendons to come together to compress this nerve. For ulnar nerve symptoms, if two-point discrimination is normal, issue a pilosplint or a night extension splint to reduce pressure on the nerve with end-range elbow flexion. Other treatments can include stretching the pronator, neural mobilizations or flossing, activity modification, and educating on avoiding elbow flexion during activities. If pinch and grip is abnormal and two-point discrimination is affected, Exonal loss has occurred. Surgery is now indicated and they may require an endoscopic release, in-situ decompression, medial epicondylectomy, and or anterior transpositions, which can be of either the subcutaneous, intramuscular, and submuscular. For the anterior interosseous nerve, you can test that by having the patient making an OK sign. So that will result in activation of the FPL, flexion of the thumb IP, and flexion of the FDP of the index finger, both of which are innervated by the anterior interosseous nerve, or the AAN. The median nerve arises from the lateral cord and the medial cord. So C6 and 7, which is the lateral cord, and the medial cord, which is C8 and T1. It enters between the two heads of the pronator teres deep to the piceps aponeurosis, and it innervates the pronator teres, palmaris longus, FDS, and FCR. 
The median nerve gives rise to the anterior interosseous nerve 5 to 8 centimeters distal to the medial epicondyle, which provides the motor branches to the FDP, the FPL, and the pronator quadratus. So again, you can test this with the OK sign. The terminal branch is the carpal sensory branch. And there is a palmar cutaneous branch of the median nerve, which also arises 5 to 7 centimeters proximal to the wrist crease. It innervates the base of the volar thumb and the thenar eminence. The median nerve enters through the carpal tunnel and divides into the recurrent branch and three common digital nerves to provide sensation to the thumb, index, and radial half of the ring fingers thumb, index, lung, and radial half of the ring fingers. But there may be variations, such as Martin Gruber anastomoses and all those, Martinacci, all those other ones. You may also have a patient with pronator syndrome, and this is a catch-all diagnosis. It reflects compression of the median nerve at these four locations. The ligament of struthers, the bicipital aponeurosis, between the deep and superficial heads of the pronator teres and the fibrous arch of the flexor digitorum superficialis. So kind of to tell the difference between carpal tunnel syndrome or pronator syndrome, assess the thenar eminence. If their sensation is impaired there, then you know that carpal tunnel syndrome is ruled out because if it was true carpal tunnel syndrome, they would have impaired sensation along the distal fingers and not the thenar eminence. Another test you can do for median nerve involvement is the Berger test. Have the patient make a full fist for about 30 seconds to 40 seconds. The patient will report pain and paresthesia, and this is due to the lumbrical muscle incursion into the carpal tunnel. So now we're increasing carpal tunnel pressure, and that will indicate a positive carpal tunnel syndrome test. So a couple ways to remember the innervation of the median nerve is there's four muscles in the forearm, pronator teres, flexor carpi radialis, palmaris longus, and flexor digitorum superficialis. PT, FCR, PL, and FDS. These are the four muscles in the forearm innervated by the median nerve. The next three muscles are innervated by the AIN nerve, the anterior interosseous nerve. And this is, again, thinking of your OK sign, the FDP of your index and middle finger, your FPL, and your pronator quadratus. And these are the AIN innervated muscles in the forearm. There are four muscles innervated by the median nerve in the wrist and hand, and they are as follows. The APB, the OP, the FPB, and the lumbricals. So if you had to kind of, the way I like to memorize it is it kind of goes from the outside of your thumb inwards. So if you look at your thumb, on the very radial aspect is your abductor palmaris brevis, and then your opponent's pollicis, and then your flexor pollicis brevis, right? And then you go into your lumbricals one and two. So if you look at it from the radial to the ulnar side, it kind of does make sense. 
The medial, now we're done with the median nerve. We're going into the medial antibrachial cutaneous nerve. It is a posterior branch which crosses the site for incisions used for ulnar nerve transpositions. Whereas the lateral antibrachial cutaneous nerve crosses the elbow and enters the forearm between the biceps and brachialis. It's also at risk for anterior, lateral, and anterior surgical approaches. So the antibrachial cutaneous nerves are kind of the ones at risk at the elbow. The radial nerve arises from the posterior cord of the brachial plexus, C6 to T1. It innervates the triceps and conius and brachioradialis as it winds posteriorly around the humerus. And this is going to be a site of compression and injury for humeral fractures. Motor branch, the motor branch of the radial nerve innervates the ECRL, ECRB, and enters a forearm between the heads of the supinator. Once it goes into the supinator, it now is the posterior interosseous nerve, which supplies the supinator, the EDC, EDM, ECU, APL, EPL, EPB, and EIP. Again, that is the EDC, the EDM, the ECU, the APL, EPL, EPB, and EIP. The ulnar nerve arises from the medial cord of the brachial plexus. That is going to be C7 through T1. That is the, it is going to supply the FCU, the fourth and fifth digits of the FDP, the ADM, ODM, FDM, lumbricals, three and four, the palmar and dorsal interossi, the deep head of the flexor pollicis brevis, and adductor pollicis. It can, be it can be disrupted and compressed at the following places. The medial intermuscular septum, the arcadus struthers, the cubital tunnel, and the heads of the FCU. There's a couple tests that you can use to help kind of indicate whether the patient has an ulnar nerve syndrome or not. Froman's test is pronounced IP flexion with key pinch. Gian's test or genes, is hyperextension of the MCP with key pinch, but make sure to rule out any thumb abnormalities or deformities prior to that. Wartenberg test is an inability to adduct the small finger. Duchenne's is clawing of the ring and small finger. So what's known as claw hand can also be tested with Duchenne's, Duchenne's however you say that name. Igawa test, it is an inability to abduct and adduct the middle finger. Andre Thomas is volar flexion of the wrist with middle finger extension. And this is a tenodesis pattern. And the Masi test is the flattening of the metacarpal arches on the volar hand. So if you look at the hand and you're looking kind of straight through at the fingers, you're gonna, instead of seeing the hills and volleys, of the metacarpal arch on that side, you're going to see what looks like to be almost like a flat plane. The deltoid is monitored or motored by the axillary nerve, C5 and C6, and sensation is derived from the superior lateral brachial cutaneous nerve, the C5 nerve root from the axillary nerve.
So now we're going to talk about the specialized receptors. Merkel cells are large AB fibers that supply constant touch pressure in glabrous skin, so kind of the smooth skin of your fingers. You can test it by doing the Seams-Weinstein monofilament testing, static two-point discrimination, or a tuning fork. It's activated by things like putting on a glove, just constant touch pressure. That is the Merkel cells. Pacinian corpuscles are quick AB fibers. They detect gentle breezes, vibration, and movement, and they can be tested with a 256 hertz tuning fork. Pacinian corpuscles can be tested with a 256 hertz tuning fork. The Meissner corpuscles are also a quick AB fiber, and they can be tested with 30 hertz tuning fork or moving two-point discrimination. They detect vibration and movement. Ruffini end organs are slow adapting and found in hairy skin. They detect constant touch and pressure and lateral stretch. So cervical stenosis is a narrowing of spinal canals and can result in hyperreflexia of the knees, ankles, hands, and fingers. It, result, it may result in changes in gait and balance, clonus, and positive Babinski signs. Whereas a syrinx is a cyst in the spinal canal which grows anteriorly and results in ventral motor neuron damage and intrinsic muscle wasting if located in the cervical spine region. If a patient has Parsonage-Turner syndrome, this is an rapid onset of palsy with pain but no trauma. It usually presents a spotty pattern of plexus muscle involvement, but it luckily has spontaneous resolution after a while. It commonly affects the anterior interosseous nerve, and it's also known as acute brachial neuritis or neuralgic amyotrophy. Quadrangular space syndrome is where the it's kind of a little quadrangular space that's bordered by the teres major and includes the axillary nerve. It results in shoulder pain and weakness and paresthesia down the arm. Whereas a suprascapular nerve is innervated by branches from C5 and 6 and it innervates anterior shoulder skin which is often the site for orthopedic surgery intervention. It also provides the sensory portion of the lateral deltoid. So patients with impingement who are having a lot of pain just on that referred pain area, that is supplied by the suprascapular nerve. Nociceptors, which is otherwise pain receptors, can be divided into three groups. Those which respond to noxious mechanical, thermal, or polymodal stimulus. The cell body of a nerve is located in the dorsal root ganglion. And as a review, motor arrives from the ventral root. So the front is where you do the movement. Sensory comes from the dorsal root, so from the back. So myelin sheaths are made from Schwann cells in the peripheral nervous system. In the central nervous system, they're called oligodendrocytes, and those do not repair themselves. 
There's a couple of classifications of nerve injury, Sunderland's and Sedon. Sunderland has five classifications of peripheral nerve injury. The first is localized, minimal, and compression only. So this is sleeping on your arm and having it come straight back as soon as you let go of the compression. The second is axonal disruption, and which will result in Wallerian degeneration. The third is endoneurian disruption. The fourth is endo and perineurium disruption. And the last is a disruption of the entire nerve. So a set-on nerve classification has three classifications, neuropraxia, exonotmesis, and neurotmesis. Neuropraxia has an excellent prognosis as the nerve conduction is preserved. It's just a temporary compression of the nerve. So you're pressing on your Guillain's canal and then you get numbness to your ring and small fingers. And then you let it go when it comes back. That is neuropraxia. Exonotmesis is an axonal disruption which will also lead to Wallerian degeneration of the distal axon. And neurotmesis is a complete transection of the entire nerve trunk. So there are similarities between Sunderland's and Sedon. Sunderland's first classification, which is localized and minimal, is going to correlate with neuropraxia of Sedon's. So neuropraxia and Sunderland's first, those are pretty closely related. Sunderland's second through fourth are associated with the anot Mesis of Sedon's classification. And then the last one of Sunderland's, which is the fifth, which is complete disruption, is associated with Sedon's last neurotmesis. Sympathetic function. So those are pilomotor, trophic, vasomotor, and pseudomotor. Pilomotor is your goose flesh. Trophic is hair growth, skin and nail changes. Vasomotor is your skin temperature, edema, and your skin color changes, and pseudomotor is sweat. Most of these sympathetic changes aren't seen until about three weeks after injury, but um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Sensibility return. Patients first get deep pressure pain, moving touch, static light touch, and then discriminative touch. If you want to be more detailed regarding it. First thing the patient feels is pain from the free nerve endings, then temperature, 30 hertz of vibration, which again are your Meissner corpuscles, moving touch, constant touch, 256 hertz, which are your piscinians, and then localization. Diabetics are five times more likely to develop carpal tunnel syndrome, and cortisone shots may not be as effective with them. If a patient has a nerve repair, a nerve needs to be immobilized for seven to 10 days. And a normal threshold for two-point discrimination is less than six millimeters. Fair is six to 10 millimeters, and poor is 11 to 15. When evaluating an upper limb with brachial plexus injury, max shoulder abduction should be at 90 degrees to avoid putting undue stress and tensions on the roots of the brachial plexus. Clumpy palsy involves C7 through T1, and this is a loss of finger flexion and extension, intrinsics, 
and sensory loss of the ring finger and small finger and medial forearm. Herb's palsy is damage to the C5 and C7, and this is paralysis of the supraspinatus, infraspinatus, deltoid, biceps, brachioradialis, and brachialis. And that will conclude our chapter on neuroanatomy, nerve injury, and sensory education of the Purple Book, a quick reference guide and review. Hope you have a good day and see you.